Thanks, Dave. I was just standing up to make sure you remembered that scripture reading is happening. You didn't think I forgot, did you? <laughs> when has that ever happened before? Okay, get in your time machines and come back with me to the magical year of 2003. Uh, city of Chicago, we're at Wrigley Field. Uh, this is game six of the National League Championship Series. So this is what happens before the World Series, if, if you're unfamiliar with baseball. The Chicago Cubs have not been to the World Series since 1945. Uh, they haven't won the World Series for much longer than that, but since 1945. But now, here they are. It's the National League Championship Series. They're leading the series three games to two. It's the first one to win four games goes to the World Series. So they are one win away from getting to the World Series. It's in the eighth inning. Uh, there's one out in the eighth inning. So the Cubs have a 3 nothing lead, and they are officially five outs away from getting to the World Series for the first time in 1945. All of Chicago is focused on this place. In fact, all of the country is focused on Wrigley Field uh, because it looks like, finally, the Cubs are going to make it to the World Series. Uh, but then this happens. Exactly. All right, here we go. Whoop, can you go back one, Mary Beth? Oh, man. Then this happens. Okay, ready? And then, all right, I'm not going to touch it. You touch it. We both touch it at the same time. Oh, man. Okay, so what happened? It, oh. Let me tell you exactly what happened here. So, Mary... <laughs> I put together this slideshow, and when there's a video, it's a blank, it just looks like a blank slide. And Mary Beth comes to me and says, do you need two blank slides before your slides this morning? I said, no, I don't need two blank slides, you can delete them. So she, I told her to delete the one with the video on it, and so that was my bot. Okay, so here's what happens. You may know this story. Uh, they're playing against the Florida Marlins. Uh, the ball is hit, and it's heading towards foul territory. Okay, the ball goes foul. Uh, perhaps the game continues, or even better, if the Cubs player catches the ball, it's an out. And then we're only four outs away from winning the World Series. But as you may know, as this player gets towards the wall, a fan happens to reach over the wall and block the Cubs player from catching the ball. Which, okay, that happens. But that happens all the time in baseball, right? Fans reach over, they interfere, uh, bad things happen, but it's not that big of a deal. However, after this fan interference happens, uh, the Marlins go ahead and score eight runs in this inning. They beat the Cubs eight to three. They take it to game seven, and then the Marlins win game seven, and the Cubs once again have not been to the World Series from, since 1945. And so, uh, you can put that face back up there. What is that guy's name? Steve Bartman. Why do we know this guy's name, Steve Bartman? This is the guy who reached over and interfered with the ball. And I can just say this name, and some of you who are baseball fans know this is Steve Bartman. And like I said, this happens all the time in baseball. People reach over, people interfere, and it's not that big of a deal. Uh, Steve Bartman had to be escorted from this game. What's interesting is that up until recently, Wrigley Field did not have a jumbotron, right? And so when this happened... Nobody really knew exactly what happened because they couldn't play any replays. It just was a foul ball, and it kind of went on. 
But pretty soon people started calling, who were watching this on TV, calling their friends in the stadium, telling them exactly what happened, uh, zeroing in on this guy as the camera zeroes in on him, describing exactly everything that went on. Steve Bartman has become infamous now because of uh, this event. In fact, it's often referred to as simply the Bartman incident because of what he did. People dress up like Steve Bartman for Halloween. That's a, a a great costume. But the thing is, like I said, uh, this really wasn't that big of a deal. Interfering with the baseball, it happens all the time. And you don't know the names of anybody who interferes. However, you know Steve Bartman's name because it just so happened to take place on one of the most watched games uh, in baseball history. And it was being broadcast all across the nation. And now everyone knows who Steve Bartman is. He just happened to do his wrong thing at the wrong time. And now he's known all over the place. We're going to get into Philippians chapter 4 today. And we're going to meet two ladies uh, who get in an argument, get in a little discussion. We don't really know a whole lot about it. And in fact, it's not really that important. They just happen to get in an argument right at the time when Paul happened to be writing a letter that got into the most read book in history. And so now, 2,000 years later, we're going to preach a sermon about these two ladies that we we don't know anything about. Uh, except for they got in their argument at the wrong place at the wrong time. The Bartmans, the Steve Bartmans of Philippi. So turn to Philippians chapter 4 uh, if you got your Bible with you, uh, page 819 if you're using one of our Bibles. We're going to work through uh, just the first four verses here as we're moving our way through uh, Philippians. We're in the last chapter now, so we are, we're getting close to the end. Uh, let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll jump into the text. God, as we open your word now, uh, we do so as we do each week, affirming the truth in these scriptures, affirming that these are things that can change our lives. And so we just pray uh, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we focus in at this place, at this time, uh, and let your scriptures transform us. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so Philippians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. All right, now we have to see this verse in the larger context of where we've been. Uh, We've been working through chapter 3, in which Paul uh, has been writing to these Christians in Philippi and saying, look, uh, where you've been, the things that you've done, the things that have been done to you, the, pers- the things that you thought you were doing to make yourself a good person, those things are really insignificant. And Paul himself says, I would trade all of my past, all of the good and all the bad, I would throw it all away for simply the sake of understanding the power of the gospel and the power of the resurrection. And so Paul says, all of that is irrelevant for the sake of the gospel. And then he moves forward and he says, and because of this, Allow your lives to be transformed by that power. As Pam uh, so eloquently put, allow your lives to be focused on the rules of living, uh, not because God or Jesus or some authoritarian figure that wants you just to follow these strict rules, but because we truly believe that the way of the gospel, the way of Jesus, is the best possible way that we can live our lives. And so Paul says, don't let those things in the past stop you, but instead move forward into being somebody Uh, who is transformed and who is shaped by the way of the gospel. Last week, we looked at this phrase that he used, uh, being a citizen of heaven. 
Paul understands that as Christians, we are called to live as if we are colonists from heaven here on this place in this earth. Knowing full well uh, that quite often living in that way is going to be in opposition to all of the ways of the culture around you, right? The way of God, the way of Jesus, the way of the gospel is so often uh, counter to the ways of the places and the people that we surround ourselves by. And so Paul says, look, I know it. I know what I'm calling you to do is not easy. I know what I'm calling you to do is tough. I know what I'm calling you to do. Uh, You're going to find yourself uh, opposed to all of the people around you. I know that there's going to be times when you're just going to want to quit, when you're going to want to give up, when you're going to want to say, the way of God is way too hard right now, way too inconvenient. Uh, The way of God is going to make me way less money and going to make me way less uh, influential. I think I'm just going to stop. And Paul knows that these opportunities are going to come up in which you can choose Uh, the way of the world rather than the way of the gospel. And so he says, he encourages them to stand firm. This is Paul affirming uh, that even though the way of Jesus is the best possible way to live, sometimes it's not the easiest way to live. And so approach it with your eyes open to that reality. Don't go into this thinking that by following Jesus, your life is going to be perfect and easy and everything is going to be great. Go into this knowing that there are going to be times when you are going to have to stand firm, when you have to get stuck in, when you have to dig into the scriptures despite what's happening. But what I think is really interesting about this uh, is how Paul builds up to this statement of standing firm. You don't even need to go to the, the Greek or the original language to see uh, the sort of intimacy that this first sentence is just absolutely drenched in, right? So therefore, He calls them brothers and sisters, this language of family ties, this language of deep connection. You whom I love, you whom I long for, uh, my joy, my crown, all of these words uh, Paul is using not to butter up the Philippians uh, so that they'll do what he says, right? He's not greasing the wheel here so they'll follow his instructions. But Paul is writing to them and reminding them That all of these things that he's teaching in this letter, all of the ways that he's encouraging them, all of the ways that he's challenging them, uh, are not simply because he wants to be the guy in charge. Like we said just a a second ago, Paul has uh, this really deep uh, hold on the fact that the way of the gospel is the best possible way to live. And Paul feels so deeply about these Christians in Philippi Paul has such a strong connection with these men and these women. Uh, In fact, this was one of the first places where Paul planted a church in Europe. And so he is so deeply connected to these people in this church that he wants nothing more than to see them living out the ways of the gospel. He's doing that not because he wants to be right or he wants to be the boss, but he's doing that because he loves them and he understands that this is the best way that you can live. So stand firm. Put your feet in. (laughs) Dig deep. Uh, When those opportunities come for you to choose the way of God or the way of other, even though it may be hard, even though uh, it may not be your first choice, do it. Stand firm. Follow the way of God. And so Paul starts this out with this very uh, deep, intimate call for them to dig into their faith. Then he says this, I plead with Judea, and I plead with Sintache, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, 
Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. So here's Bartman. <laughs> Paul says, I plead with these two women to be of the same mind. Now we don't know, really we don't know anything about this situation. We don't really know who these people are. We don't know what their issue is. We don't know why Paul uh, thinks it's a big enough issue to write about it. Uh, but we can gather a little bit of information here. First of all, we know that these are women who are, to some degree, prominent in the church. For us, it may seem like Paul was kind of trying to shame them by calling them out, right? By, by putting a name on them. It's like, oh man, now everybody knows who these people are. They're going to be embarrassed. Uh, but really, it was a sense of honor to be named in one of these letters. If Paul really wanted to shame them, he would just say, you women, you know who you are, right? But Paul gives them a name because he esteems them. Uh, why does he esteem them? Because he said they were people who worked with him and worked along his side. One of the things, as we're reading through the book of Acts in our Readers United group, I challenged our group uh, on Wednesday to be looking for the role that women play within the early Christian movement. Uh, Paul uh, is very progressive in the way that he includes women as part of what the gospel is doing. And that's not because Paul is trying to be, make some political statement uh, or you know, trying to make sure that everyone knows that he's liberal or whatever, because that's not the case. What Paul is simply doing is affirming that the gospel is something that transcends all boundaries. It transcends racial boundaries and ethnic boundaries. It transcends gender boundaries. It transcends uh, social economical boundaries. It transcends all of this stuff. And so Paul is finding ways that every single person can have a role in which they can serve in the local church. And Paul is saying, you can be included in this, and you can serve alongside me in this way, and you can find your role here. And he's opening the doors wide and bringing people in. And so as you read through Paul's letters, one of the things that is really quite striking uh, is his very openness to allowing all people from all places to serve and to be part of church ministry. Now, in Macedonia, where Philippi is located, uh, it was more culturally accepted for women to have positions of authority. Uh, and so Paul is kind of fitting within the social boundaries here, and in in these women, to some degree, are leaders within the church. And so, we again, don't know much about them, except for the fact that to some, some level, they're leaders in the church, and they served alongside Paul, uh, and they're in some sort of dispute or some sort of argument. Um, what is this argument? <laughs> Again, we don't know. We don't know how big it is. We don't know how small it is. Uh, I think one thing that we can kind of agree on is that this was a big enough issue that Paul felt the need to write about it. Remember, Paul is living in Rome right now. He's under house arrest uh, in, in Rome, waiting trial from Caesar. And he has heard uh, through messengers being sent back and forth that there's an issue in the Philippian church between these two women. And it's a big enough deal that Paul doesn't think that it's just going to kind of fold itself out. But Paul decides that he wants to include this in his letter to make sure that they know. So Paul affirms that this isn't just some, you know, petty little discussion that they're having. But this is a big deal. Whatever the argument is, uh, it's a big enough deal that Paul is, is recognizing it within his letter. So that's all we know. <laughs> we know that these are two women that are leaders in the church and that are in some sort of discussion. 
Paul is challenging them to come to one mind. He's challenging his helpers there to join him in encouraging these women uh, to, to find some sort of resolution to their issue. But we can get really wrapped up in this. We can get really wrapped up in who these people were and what exactly is happening and all of the details. But I think when we do that, we kind of miss a bigger point. We miss something bigger that's going on here, and we miss uh, this, this big picture within the context of the letter to Philippians that Paul is writing. What Paul is challenging these women to do is to take this difference, to take this division, whatever it is that's going on between them, and to come to some sort of resolution. Now, I don't think that Paul is simply dismissing it and saying, all right, ladies, uh, figure this out somewhere else. (laughs) Paul is affirming that this is a big enough deal, and he's saying, come to some sort of conclusion, come to some sort of answer, be of one mind. Because I think what Paul understands uh, is that as long as the focus of Udio and Sintiche is on this problem, whatever it is, whatever's come up among them, whatever dispute is bubbling to the surface, whatever is happening that's big enough to be written about to Paul all the way in Rome, as long as their focus is on this, they're going to have a really difficult time doing the other stuff that Paul just challenged them to do. Specifically, to focus their lives and their attentions as living as a citizen of heaven, despite uh, the tension and despite the opposition to the culture around them. I think the reason that Paul is bringing this up I think the reason that Paul is focusing on this, I think the reason that Paul calls these women out and brings their Bartman incident to the surface so that we're preaching sermons about them 2,000 years later, I think the reason he's doing this is because Paul understands that as long as the focus is on this situation, we're not going to be able to fully focus ourselves on something much bigger and much more important. Uh, Maybe a, a simple way to think of it is like this. All of us tend to keep this at the front of our minds, our agendas, when it comes to spending money. When it, that fly, did anybody see that? Like, dive-bombed by that thing. Uh, when it comes to spending our money, when it comes to raising our family, when it comes to taking jobs, when it comes uh, to wanting to be right in an argument, Right? Why are we so interested in coming out on top in these discussions? Because we want to make sure that whatever it is, we are heading towards the direction of our agenda. And I think what Paul understands and what is central to this teaching is that as long as our focus is on our agenda, uh, it's often going to be hard for us uh, to be involved and to be focused on God's agenda. And so when Paul challenges these women, challenges these women, He's not trying to embarrass them. He's not calling them out. He's not dismissing them as stupid or futile or, you know, that's not important. But Paul is getting to something much bigger and much deeper and much beyond just this particular place at this particular time. But this is something that all of us can grab onto. That when we begin to prioritize and focus solely on our agenda, we can miss out on what God is up to, and what God is doing. That call 
in chapter 3, to live as a citizen of heaven is a massively inclusive call. This isn't just about showing up to church on time. This isn't just about giving your daily tithe or your monthly tithe. This isn't just about following these rules. But Paul is saying to them, look guys, you are now called to live by an entire new ethic, an entire new way to be human, an entire new way to experience life, to experience community, to be citizens of Philippi, as well as part of your local church. This is huge. This affects every single area of who you are. And as long as you're so focused on coming out right in this situation, or drawing others in your church to be on your side in this situation, uh, or wanting to come out looking like you won the argument and the other person lost, because when you win, right, there's something good about you. As long as you're focused on yourself and what's happening here and what's going on in this particular area of your own life within your agenda, you're going to be losing the ability to put focus and attention on this much bigger, more important, vast calling to live as a citizen of heaven. As long as you're focused on this, you're going to miss out on that. And this isn't just about arguments. This isn't just about disagreements that you may have with other people in the church or your own family members or, you know, bickering between one another. But I think when we take a step back and we look at our lives and we kind of reevaluate the things that we do, the things that we focus on, the things that we find important, I think each one of us could probably identify one or probably more specific areas in our lives where when we're honest with ourselves, our focus is on our agenda rather than the big calling that God uh, is up to. And so what I want you to do right now, I want you to pull out your phone. Uh, I'm sure most of you have some sort of phone that you can take notes on or you can write on. If you don't have a phone, uh, pull out a pen and a little piece of paper. If you don't have that, tap into the writing pad of your mind. <laughs> and I just want us to take just a, a minute here because I think it's really important uh, that we don't just kind of leave this as this nebulous idea of, oh, choosing God over choosing ourselves. But I want us to focus on one particular area in your life. Uh, whatever, wherever you find yourself right now, whatever place in life you're at, we all have these opportunities in which we can focus on our agenda rather than the agenda of God. And so what I want us to do right now is I want you to write down one area of your life when, uh, in which, when you are very honest with yourself, your focus is not on the agenda of God, but your focus is on the agenda of yourself, whether that's your career, whether that's your own pride, whether that's your finances, whether that's uh, where you're going or the stability that you may have, Right? I want us to write down one area in which, when we're honest with ourselves, our focus is not on the agenda of God, but it's on the agenda of ourselves. So just take a second uh, to think about that, to write something down, um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll focus on that.
The reason that Paul writes these letters, uh, the reason that Paul takes time (laughs) to put these down, and I would also argue the reason that these things have been preserved for thousands and thousands of years, the reasons that still today we're preaching sermons on these things, uh, is because there is something really powerful behind the gospel. It's not just these set of rules that you follow, but there's some sort of life-changing and world-changing power behind the gospel. Big enough that Paul is willing to say, I would throw away all of that stuff for this. When we allow ourselves to be open to that, when we allow ourselves to be open to what the gospel can do in our lives, I think as individuals, I think as a church, I think as a city, I think as a world, we will begin to see a really powerful movement. But it all begins with making these simple choices to take the things that are top of our agenda, the things that we desire to do, the things that we desire to be, the places that we desire to go, and moving that out of the way. Paul challenges these women not to think that their argument is petty or ridiculous, but he challenges them to put it underneath something else that's going on, something bigger that's going on, something uh, that can radically change their lives, their church, and their world. And I think as we, as followers of that same gospel, need to be asking ourselves those same questions. In which way is my agenda floating to the top? In which ways can I rethink and reshape the ways that I'm going, the ways that I think, the ways that I focus, the things that I put my money in, my time in, my resources in, in order to make sure that the agenda of God, uh, as living as a citizen of heaven, is always uh, the priority of where we are going individually, but where we are going as a church. Let's pray. God, as we reflect on, on this scripture today, um, we, are, we are challenged, we are reminded that you have uh, a very powerful way of reshaping uh, our lives. And so we just pray that we can be honest and open with ourselves. Uh, We pray uh, that when you make it clear to us some things that perhaps we are choosing our way over your way, God, I pray that you give us the courage to step into uh, the holiness that you have called us to live in. I pray that you help us to step into, sometimes with courage, as Paul says, Uh, that we stand firm in the way of the gospel even when it seems easier uh, to not. Because we do know that the power of the gospel is evident when we allow it to work through our lives. God, we don't have to call you or invite you to do so. Um, You are ready and you are at work. Uh, It is our job to open ourselves to where you're moving. We pray all of these things in your powerful name. Amen. Grace be with you.